welcome to the Recover You podcast with Kyleen and Patrick Terhune. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Recover You. I am so excited today to introduce you to Jackie Newman. She is a certified partner trauma therapist, speaker, and teacher in the field of sexual betrayal trauma. Jackie has helped many partners feel validation in their stories and experience healing from their trauma. Through her own healing journey, she's able to provide her clients with her experience, strength, and hope, along with extensive training and understanding of the effects that sexual betrayal can have on a partner. She is also a betrayal recovery coach for Tara Hope Alliance, our nonprofit that we are raising awareness around this month. And so I'm just really excited to have this conversation. Welcome, Jackie. Yay. Thanks, Kylene. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. When I reached out, um, you had mentioned that I was like, hey, look, what do you want to talk about? You know, I really want to make this something that is something you can easily and enjoyably talk about for, you know, hours on end. Not that we're going to talk for hours on end, but <laughs> what's that thing, you know? And yeah. uh, you were like preparation for disclosure. It's, and I, I love that because um, Patrick and I in episode two shared our personal disclosure, Sherry's story. So we, um, Sherry story. So we shared our story um, and, uh, and kind of our experience with that and, you know, best practices that, you know, we kind of gathered and all that kind of stuff. But uh, outside of that, I don't really think we've gone to, we don't, I don't think we've had a specific episode dedicated to prepping for it and all that's included and everything like that. So I'm really, I'm glad that you brought this topic up. It's so important. And I think what I'd like to start with is why do you think that disclosure is such an important step for healing? Mm, I love that question. Um, first and foremost, I, I think about my own experience with it. Um, you know, as a, as a partner, I was so used to <laughs> um, all, the kitchen table disclosures, right, which were so damaging and so often even more traumatic for the partner because we get like bits and de- bits and pieces of like just enough detail to like, create a scenario in our head, right, that like just plagues us. And so I just remember as a partner experiencing that, but then going through my own full disclosure with my husband, um, it just felt so different, mm-hmm. even though it was still hard and still, you know, traumatic um, in some ways, in a lot of ways. I had never felt so supported and prepared on my own end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to walk into this, one with with professionals who I trusted them. Um, I knew that they had done their own work, right, that they had been through this process and that they could more than anything that they could hold this really delicate space with me um, and, and that they weren't just for me as a partner. They were also for my husband, too. Right. Um, and both therapists just really held that space beautifully. And my therapist, um, my therapist and my sponsor both really kind of ha- helped prep me for that. So I could go into this disclosure with um, a strong core. I talk about this to my own clients, um, developing a strong core, a strong kind of, um, I don't know, I had the tools that I needed Mm -hmm. to go into this and to Mm -hmm. be able to hear everything that my husband was going to share with me. Um, Mm -hmm. But yet with this beautiful kind of protective inner core and 
um, strength that mm-hmm. I did not have before. And it just felt, it felt very, um, I felt very cared for and I felt prepared for it, which was completely different than um, any of those other disclosures that I yeah. was not prepared for. That's such a good point because the whole idea of disclosure is to create, to, to give you the information in the safest way possible. So yes. you're getting some, you're getting information that is most likely traumatic and, and you may have pieces that you still don't know being shared in disclosure, but yeah. creating the space and the grounding and the support around it so that you can kind of, uh, have the tools and the resources and the people and the community right next to you. Right. And that, that is huge. And also something as you were talking, I was thinking is, is kind of reiterating the idea that the disclosure is really beneficial for both people. Because if you, if you think about the addict side, right, it's so, it's such an important piece for them to fully comb through and begin understanding their behaviors and then be willing to be vulnerable and honest, like total honesty, right? Like what in, in a, in a lifestyle that is so much about hiding and secrecy and lies and shame, like the process Mm -hmm. of taking time to create a document to, um, be completely Mm -hmm. honest with their spouse, um, is, is huge, right? Like that's a big step of healing for them, I think. And then for the betrayed partner, just like what you were saying, like, having it done in a way where it was intentional and it wasn't just as accidental. Well, it fell out of his mouth or you checked his email or yeah, (laughs) all the ways, (laughs) all the ways that we've all done. Right. Like, yeah. I don't know if anyone has actually ever made it to disclosure without some sort of trickle. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even think that's possible, but the idea is, you know, once you have this set that you're, you are managing the information leading up to that. You're, you're kind of holding on. You're waiting for disclosure so that you can do it all at the same time as much as possible, as much as possible. Yeah. But yeah, I think the benefit for both is probably equal in terms of moving the healing forward. And I do, my my opinion would be that if you're going to reconcile with a partner with with the idea of optimal health, that this would be a required step. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, it is, you know, like you're, like we were saying, as much as it is a tender, really difficult space for a partner. um, I agree too, that it is such a, such a vulnerable tender spot for, um, for the, that the acting out partner. Um, But for them to be able to do that in a space that feels safe for them Mm, to be mm -hmm. vulnerable is so imperative. That's why like, I'm, I'm really intentional about working with, um, with the addicts therapist, um, as far as disclosure prep goes. And when they come in my space, um, I'm also like, as I'm with my partner a hundred percent, but I'm also, I really try to attune to the one who's sharing the disclosure because it is so vulnerable. Like I want them to, to feel my presence with them and my support with them too, because they are doing this thing that is probably the hardest thing Mm -hmm. that they've ever had to do in their life. And that takes courage and it takes work and Mm -hmm. it takes so much vulnerability. And so I want them to know that I honor that process for them too, because they put a ton of work into it and a ton of, a ton of vulnerability and heart and, Um, that's terrifying. Like I can't imagine mm-hmm. being so vulnerable in that way. And so, um, 
Yeah, it's just, it's such a tender, um, tender, sacred, difficult process. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And that's, and that's why having people guide you through it is so important. Um, So what do you, what do you think are some of the, you know, best tips when you're talking about preparation for disclosure? And I know you, you primarily are going to be working with the the betrayed partners on this, but feel free either, either side um, to talk about, you know, what do you think is important here? Um, first and foremost, I think it is imperative that, um, that the partner do a bit of their own trauma work first around the betrayed partner, the betrayed partner. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. So we'll say betrayed partner and acting out partner. How about we do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that they both, but, um, the betrayed partner have a bit of their own work, their own trauma work first. Um, kind of understanding up to this point, what does that look like? Um, how have they survived? How have they coped? How are they coming into this right now? And kind of identifying um, what support they have. And I'm very intentional. Um, before I get a partner into disclosure, I want to make sure that they have some kind of community around them. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's, you know, a recovery community, SNN, some 12 steps, celebrate recovery, um, I really, really encourage them to find, to seek out other people who have been through full therapeutic disclosure, Um, someone who knows what it's like to sit in that. Mm -hmm. And so I will often try to get them connected with someone who has been through it, encourage them to go to their SNN community. Um, So that that's kind of a integral piece of it that I try on the front end of disclosure to make sure that they are connected somehow. Well, and that that phase that you're talking about, when we're going to go through discovery, it that whole first phase of recovery for the betrayed partner is safety building. It's exactly. creating safety. It's creating stability. And part of that is deciding and creating like who is my community and who are my safe people. Right. And, and a couple of weeks ago, uh, after the airing of this, a couple of weeks ago, Patrick and I did an episode on community and mm-hmm. um, the importance of it for for recovery. And it's a it's a really good point that you're making here. That is. Because I talked about there's there's community within people that know exactly what you're going through because they've experienced it. And then yeah. there's also benefit to community in people that are completely outside the betrayal community, but they have empathy for you and can kind of yes. remind you that there's a life outside of betrayal, right? And so, but this particularly is a situation where it's going to be very helpful to yeah. have the the conversations and the support from people whenever possible. And I know across the country, this is tough, right? Like there aren't enough coaches and therapists in every city and there aren't enough groups in every city. So I know this isn't always possible, but whenever possible, if you're going through something like a disclosure to be able, this is a particular instance where sharing um, similarities and Mm -hmm. talking to somebody that has been through it and their benefit, um, you know, how did they feel and what did they find were the best practices and, you know, did they sleep apart that night? Did they, you know, what what did they do and how did they feel? And were you happy afterwards? Mm -hmm. Were you sad afterwards? What was your experience like, you know, and um, being able to have a safe space, I think is, you're right. It's going to be important. Yeah, um, so true. That community is par- is imperative. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I even like going into disclosure. I always make sure like that my that my partners, my betrayed partners, have someone that they check in with before, who is yes. like recovery community, and someone like right after. As soon as they leave my office, like who you gonna call before? Who you're gonna call after? Who are you gonna go to dinner with? Right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, who, mm-hmm. who knows this? Mm-hmm. And I I love that too. The idea of 
kind of community in both senses. Yeah. Um, right. That we have community within the betrayal trauma world. And then outside of that, because, yeah, I agree. There are so many benefits to both and mm-hmm. both communities are sacred. And that extra level of vulnerability that um, other partners share um, yeah. can be really, really healing. So yeah. that first and foremost, like I always want to know, who are your people? Who do yeah. you feel safe with? Um, yeah, because there's there's just kind of a different level of safety there. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, and and like and like we were mentioning too, like sometimes it's really hard. Um, you know, oh, man, so many people come and they're like, I can't find a therapist in my area. I can't do. Yeah, I can't. There's just not enough. And there, there's for whatever reason, you know, this is still not something that is unfortunately widely accessible everywhere. And yeah. so, you know, if you don't, if you don't have access to that community, there are online communities. Um, yes. There are different resources, right? Um, and there, but then also for that person to come with you, maybe there is a really empathetic family member or friend that right. um, you have like on speed dial after, you know, and so just, yeah. you know, making it work for your situation, but that's going to be really, that's going to be important for sure. What, what other things do you think are, you know, big big important things to think about as you're prepping for disclosure? Um, I really love one of my, one of my favorite things to do um, just kind of in the, in the particular type of therapy that I do. uh, I love to lead guided meditations. I love doing visualizations with my clients. Um, I love this about you, by the way, when I, when I just like side note, sorry to interrupt you, but like when I interviewed Jackie for Tara Hope. Um, she came highly recommended, so I was sure she was awesome. But um, but I loved our conversation because I mean I really asked you a lot of questions. I was like, well, what do you do in this situation? How would you navigate this? How would you? And you were just like so great in all of the ways that you approach it, and so empathetic and so kind. But I I also really find that it's very important that you that people have multiple modalities, multiple ways, because every client is different, right? And something that works with one person is not going to work with another. So anyway, sorry to pause, but I love, I love this idea of visualizations and meditations. I know you're going to go into experiential therapy. So dig in, dig in. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah. Well, it's sometimes I think it's kind of a weird thing that I do. It's not just talk therapy, but for, I, I do these things because they have been helpful for me. Um, And so specifically I think about the guided meditations Something that was helpful for me in my own disclosure, I can't remember if I told you about this last time, but um, my sponsor and I had done some kind of higher power work. Um, like, okay, what is what what does God look like to you? How does he how does he show up? Um, and I I had had some church trauma, I'd had some religious trauma before, and so I was in the space of kind of reworking what that looked like for myself. And so in that, I started to develop this idea of, of what God looked like to mm. me. And the first the first thing that came to my mind was, okay, you know, Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, my gosh. Me. No way. Yes. No. No. Okay. Because I do the same thing. So I do something similar, right? We do resourcing. Okay. We call it resourcing, right? If we're going to yes. go into yes. the situation, we, re- we have resource. Okay. Absolutely. My, my God resource was Aslan. No way. <laughs> Girl. Okay. Yeah. I have I have a tattoo of a lion on my ankle. No. Because of, because, no. Like, oh my yes. gosh. But you know, but does that not speak to how brilliant C.S. Lewis was? Because because why like the it's an animal, but 
to me, Aslan is is the epitome of like the God representation because he's strong and he's powerful and he could totally protect you. But he's also this thing that like can nurture and love and support you. Right. It's like it it somehow encompasses. Yeah. It somehow encompasses all the things that's hard to encompass about God. Right. Like all his. Yes. This gentle, like it's this, it's the both and right. He's gentle and he's powerful and Mm -hmm. he can, Oh my gosh. I love this. <laughs> That's amazing. So okay, okay. Keep going with your story. <laughs> um, okay. So when I, when I thought about that, like I had that visual of just this beautiful lion protecting me and walking with me. And one part of my, part of my, again, like resourcing was I found kind of a, a safe sanctuary that I would go to um, as I would mentally and emotionally try to prep for disclosure. I found this little place outside of, um, or it's actually in a, in a suburb in Nashville. It's called Radnor Lake. It is this um, huge huge park with this gorgeous lake in the middle of it. But I would go there early in the morning. Um, and I did this before disclosure day. I very specifically remember I got out of my car and I had done this kind of, um, prep work of, of really visualizing what that, what God looked like to me. And I just very vividly remember seeing this giant lion like Mm. Aslan beside me. And it's like, I got out of my car that morning and I started walking down this path that led to this clearing where you could see the lake. And it just naturally happened where like I could see that lion beside me and he walked down that path with me and just stood there with me like, silent but strong and gentle as I just kind of looked out and prayed and thought about disclosure and having that visual beside me where I could just like it was so real to me I felt like I could reach out and touch it Mm -hmm. Um, and so that has never left me everywhere I went that day I imagined that lion going with me I went to get a massage that morning um and that was a whole story in itself. Um, just the healing work that that mm, moving that, that energy I, before disclosure. Oh my gosh! Yes, yeah. and the therapist like knew she. I, I think she was attuned to what to what I was about to go into. So that was crazy. But I imagine that lion sitting outside that door and just like very protective. And yeah. and then going into disclosure, I had shared this with my therapist. This this imagery. And, um, you know, we were in the room prepping and my husband and his therapist were in the other room and I sat down, um, in the room with her and that lion was there. And then, um, as we were getting ready for disclosure, I imagined like that lion waiting at the door, like waiting for me to be ready. And it's like, (laughs) I had this image of that lion kind of coming in between me and sitting down in between me and my husband, just so gently, but yet strong. Yeah. And my, uh, my husband's therapist right before, right before the disclosure letter started, he looked at me and he said, do you want a pillow? Do you want like a grounding pillow to hold on to? And I said, yes, please. Absolutely. And he, Colleen, he brings me this giant pillow. It was just fur, 
like fur. No. And I, like, I just started crying. It's like a lion's mane. Therapist, and it was like, I could feel this lion. And yeah. it was, like, the weight of it was so grounding mm. and I could feel it. And it helped me visualize it even more. And so, you know, as my husband was sharing the disclosure, I just remember feeling the presence of that, like being able to visualize it and see it. And then there were moments when, like where I could have heard things and taken them like internally to be about me. Right. And gone into my own shame. Um, or I, you know, could have gotten really angry at my husband, but in those moments, it's like that lion, I saw him stand up and just give out this giant roar. It's like the energy that was within me. Yeah. I saw it manifest kind of in this lion, but not, not in an angry sense, like at my husband, but just at the situation. Mm-hmm. And then it would settle again. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you that having that visual protected me in such a beautiful and sacred way. And I think protected like my relationship with my husband. I could show up in a way that was grounded. Mm-hmm. Right. And it wasn't about me and who I was, but it was about the healing that had to occur. The things that had to occur to lead to healing. Mm-hmm. So with, (laughs) I say that really long story, um, but to share, it's important for me to help my clients get a good visual, like, again, creating that strong core, whether it is a lion for you, whether it's like a bubble that feels protective or like, you know, is, is it Jesus coming into the room and sitting with you? Or is it, you know, some other person who can support, like, what does that look like and how can you invite that into the room with you to help be a resource, right? To help protect. Um, So I do a lot of groundwork with that. We do a lot of guided imagery. Um, I really try to find out who is important for my client. Like where do they get their support, their higher power? Like what does that look like for them? And we kind of work on, um, yeah, practicing that, like practicing Mm -hmm. that visual. So that's one thing. I love (laughs) Um, that. Yeah, and then in that, I, I got my tattoo of my lion. It goes with me everywhere now. That's so great. That's so cool. Well, and also just how God works, like, in the background. Like, mm-hmm. that therapist probably didn't know that the lion was your safe space, right? right? And mm-hmm. and But the pillow representing, like, the fur on its head, right? Like, yeah. what a cool, like, how many things had to happen in the background at what point in time how many years prior for that to happen to support you right like th- those things are just like so cool to me because oh it's like you can't you can't make that stuff up exactly <laughs> you know like you can't orchestrate that you know it's there's something behind the scenes that it's those small things that kind of remind you I think that right. you know he is there even when and and I don't know what your experience was through this God and I had a very uh tumultuous relationship yes. <laughs> <laughs> the year the year of betrayal, right? Um, there was a lot of anger. And, you know, I'd been through a lot of other trauma in my life. And I felt like I always maintained my faith. And I was always faithful. And I was good. And so then this happened. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, yeah, like, yes. I was... <laughs> Yeah. I was angry. I was angry. I was very angry. And so, um, you know, it really is those small things that kind of come back and you're like, oh, wait, like he is still there. And the thing that, you know, I, I've kind of said before is, is like he, he, God is the epitome of like a safe relationship. Right. 
So he's not going to gaslight you and he's not going to force you to be in a relationship that you don't want to be in. So he's just going to sit there and safely wait for you and yeah. provide the safety that we we all actually need. Um, and so he's so good about demonstrating what that looks like. And then he'll just kind of like throw these little reminders in there like, I'm still here. I yeah. still love you. You might be yelling at me right now, but like, hello, you know. And yeah. so I feel like that, you know, the pillow is such a great representation of that. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful the way, the way God shows up like that. Uh, you know, I call it like in the work that I do, um, in preparation and in the, even the kind of the experience, experiential work, like sometimes we call it being in flow. Yeah. Like if I get, if I get a something in my stomach where it's like, okay, like, I don't know, like Jackie, go get, go get a furry pillow for this client. Right. Like, Rather than being like, what? That doesn't make sense. Why would I do that? Like, mm-hmm. but if I get that feeling in my gut, just going with it and trusting that it is from God, right? Yeah. That that it's like this constant, I'm constantly downloading, right, from mm-hmm. him. And I trust that whatever that feeling is in my stomach is from him because that's what we that's what as partners we learn to abandon, right? Mm-hmm. We learn to abandon that that feeling in our gut, which I think that feeling in our gut for me is also my connection with God. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That deeper, that inner knowing that higher yeah. perspective. Yeah. Like Sometimes. sort of, it's sort of like the eternal, the, the eternal knowingness or something like that. Mm. Like, and, and other people might just say, oh, it's on my conscience or like, it's what, but yeah, I think there is a higher um, connection to that. Yeah. yeah I need to, yeah. I, think, I think that's part of, part of the work is recognizing how often I would abandon that as a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and just out of, you know, attempts to people please or fix or anticipate or, you know, um, just abandon that gut feeling like, oh, it's fine. It's nothing to worry about. Right. Like, or if my partner was telling me, you don't know what you're talking about. Everything's fine. Right. We abandon that sense of, no, there's something stirring. Like, wait a second. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that can go just in a couple ways, right? Like whether we abandon self for that reason, or um, I just get disconnected from that. And so I, I love that part of my work gets to be helping partners connect back to that. And that's, Mm. again, I go back to building a strong core and that's what I think about. Right. That's what I'm trying to teach when I say building a strong core. I want us to uh, I want my partners to really learn to stay connected to themselves. Yeah. And I think when we stay connected to ourselves, we stay connected to God. Mm. So, oh, yeah. I was just talking about that with a client. So it's fresh. It's fresh in my brain. But like, yeah. well, I, I can keep that. I can yeah. show up anywhere and everywhere with a strong core. Right. Because I know that I'm safe and I'm connected. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's really the healing process of coming back to your beliefs and your val- your values right. and getting in total alignment with who you yeah. are so yeah. that you can truly show up authentically you. And you mentioned people pleasing, right? Like so so often because I'm a I'm a recovering people pleaser. It's a struggle <laughs> for me. And um you know, it really is. It's hard. Um because you know in, in on the conscious level you're like, well I just want to make people happy. But on the subconscious level, it's really more about managing the situation so that you are happy. And right. So, right. And like and that you're you're creating the outcome and, and you you know that's manipulation and we shouldn't do that. We just our job is to show up authentically as who we are. 
and to know what that means and what that looks like and have integrity with that. And then it's their job to do the same. And if, you know, if there's an issue, it's your responsibility to like bring it up. Right. And otherwise you just, you just interact. Um, but that's hard, right? Because yeah, we've been so you know, programmed otherwise, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Maya Angelou stated, I have found that among its other benefits, giving liberates the soul of the giver. Tara Hope is a nonprofit that is on a mission to support women experiencing and recovering from sexual betrayal trauma. We do this by providing education and resources as well as connecting them with and paying for practitioners who guide and assist them through the recovery process so that they can lead happy and fulfilling lives again. If you are interested in supporting this nonprofit organization, here are a few ways to consider doing this. Number one, pray that we connect with the women who need us most. Pray for all the women who are granted scholarships that they find true healing. Pray for our coaches that they have wisdom in every session. Please pray for me as I continue to lead in an area that is unfamiliar territory and, to be honest, kind of intimidates me. Pray for the right people to be led to Tara Hope so that we can connect and grow into an organization that has an impact across the country. This includes bringing on a CEO, marketing specialist, fundraising specialist, and social media manager, to name a few of the people we would love to have in our team moving forward. Two, please consider sharing this podcast with pastors, churches, friends you know who might be interested, therapists or counselors who have a heart to help others, or even sharing a screenshot or audio clip on social media. Anyone you think that might be interested in learning that this organization exists. Number three, please consider donating. One six-month scholarship ranges from $3,000 to $3,600, and $150 would cover one session with a Tara Hope coach. Number four, and finally, if you are someone who is feeling called to help us grow, please reach out to us to let us know in what way you might want to participate. I mentioned earlier a few areas we need support. Someone who has experience running nonprofits, someone interested in running social media, someone good at marketing, etc. Honestly, whether you donate $5, cover us in prayer, or share this podcast with one person, we are so thankful for your participation. The smallest action of support can have a huge ripple effect, so never think that any contribution is too small. We are so thankful for each of you listening. To donate, please go to tarahopealliance.org forward slash donate. If you'd like to reach out to us, please email info at tarahopealliance.org. Um, so you, you've mentioned experiential therapy. Talk a little bit about what that is. And I know you um, actually uh, host and lead some retreats and do really cool stuff. And and so t- tell me all about all the cool stuff that you do. All the cool stuff that I do. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I love the world of experiential therapy. Um, it's actually something that I got into fairly early on in my career. Um, I started out um, after doing just kind of um, private practice and traditional kind of talk therapy, I got a job at uh, this place called the Bridge to Recovery and here in Bowling Green. And um, they worked with addictions, codependency, anxiety, depression, um, but it was short-term residential and they specialized in experiential therapy. And um, and kind of the umbrella uh, experiential therapy definition is that we use different um expressive tools, modalities, uh, activities um, to kind of 
you know, it can be to recreate situations from the past or um, maybe helping a client get into their body and understand how anxiety manifests, right? Maybe instead of uh, sitting on my couch saying that they're anxious, I'll have them stand up and um, I'll, I'll say, okay, show me what does that look like, right? Like how does that manifest in your body? When you feel anxious, show me how your body feels, right? It, and um, it can go from that to um, I did an intensive a couple weeks ago where we needed to do some grief work. And um, this person uh, had a, a pile of rocks, like big different size stones. And this person had so many different elements of grief. Mm. Um, they they would go and take this kind of journey across this platform and they would go get a stone and then hold it and identify a piece of grief that they had, whether it was, you know, a miscarriage or, um, or a betrayal from, from someone or, you know, Mm. whatever it is, um, they would take that stone and they would make the journey back. And, um, just the experience of identifying, picking something up, holding it, making a journey with it, feeling the weight of it, mm-hmm. just kind of sometimes it can foster more um, accessibility to our emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And so I love experiential in that way. There's, It's a gigantic umbrella. It in, can include psychodrama, right? If we think about the, the term of show me, don't tell me, right? Um, show me what this looks like for you. Um, so that's kind of experiential kind of in a nutshell, but, um, yeah, so I specialize in doing, um, multi-day intensives with people where I might, so for example, next week I'm flying to Mississippi and I'm going to, um, spend some time with one person who has some trauma work to do, um, there may be some some betrayal trauma there. And so we'll kind of work on family of origin stuff. We will kind of see what, you know, mm. how things were modeled growing up, what they learned from there, what maybe internal messages were there and uh, how they manifest as, you know, in adulthood. Um, that is we'll be- so important. Can I just like to put a Girl. quick pause? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People, I mean, people, um, I think there's a, an, and I understand where this comes from, right? It's the idea that, like, I don't want to blame my parents for everything that's wrong in my life, right? And I agree with that. I agree right. with that. It, You know, we as adults have responsibility for our behaviors, period. End of story. Like, take responsibility. But when you go through a healing journey, you have to go back to, like, what, how things manifested in your life. Why do I have this belief? Why do I have this behavior? Where did this come from? And yeah. a lot of times it happened in childhood. And like there are a lot of times where it's like not even your parents fault. Like I give this example all the time, right. Of like an abandonment wound. Like my, uh-huh. my mom was like leaving for choir. Like she didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. It's like she didn't do anything wrong, but I'm like screaming, mommy, don't leave me. Right. And that was the imprint on my nervous system of, of abandonment. Right. Yes. And then you go yes. through life and find proof of, of other ways that that happens. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for that because you're seeking safety all the time. Right. And yes. so <clears throat> I always, I, I like the, the and idea, right? Your, your parents did the best that they could with the information and the tools and the resources that they had and they hurt you and that's okay. Like we understand where it's okay for us to understand that they are human beings 
that they made mistakes. But what's more important is that we acknowledge like how that manifested so that we can then deal with it. Because if we're going to live in denial to the point where we go, well, they were great. They are right. Most parents are wonderful, great people who do the best they can. So we want to acknowledge that. I love my parents. They're amazing, et cetera. Let's say that. Um, And (laughs) there are things that have come up in my adult life. Right. And from that. And so it's, it, it's okay to have both. And I think if you really want to heal, you're going to be willing to look at whatever you have to look at in order for that to happen. Absolutely. I love that you said that. Um, That is literally why I have an ampersand tattooed on my wrist, like, like embracing the ends, like both things can be true. Mm -hmm. Um, In my own life as a partner, um, when I, when I kind of did my own family of origin work, I I had incredible parents, incredible Mm -hmm. parents. Um, and I had a brother who was terminally ill that, you know, we lived with, he died when he was 20 and he was 32. Um, but based on just watching my parents care for him, I knew, um, it was really hard. It was really taxing on them. So, I, they never said this to me, but I internalized this message of making myself needless and wantless just because they had enough to deal with, right? I didn't sure. want to cause any more, any more stuff, um, any more chaos, any anything for them because they were so good. Mm-hmm. And they had him to take care of, and he was very um, demanding time-wise, right? And um, emotionally, mentally, like um, he was a lot, and that's not in him. It's just it was. And so that's what I internalized. And so, mm-hmm. my gosh, I can look at that in my own marriage and, um, you know, early on putting so much focus on my husband, like when he shared his struggle out at the very beginning in our relationship, it was all about, okay, what am I going to like, what can I do to help make this better for you? How can I be your accountability partner? I'm going to take on all these roles. It's going to be all about you N- never recognizing like, Hey, hang on. Like this is impacting me too. Like I have needs around this. Like yeah. and so it's a pattern and that's how it showed up. And so that's why I do love going in and doing that kind of family of origin work, right? Um Yeah, I think because the reality is um that we live into those beliefs, whether we want yeah. to or not. Exactly. And so if we have these beliefs and, and you say you see this all the time on the addict side as well, right? That's oh part of the part of the coping mechanism. That's part of what yep. they're medicating it are these negative beliefs right. and decisions they've made about themselves that they're not lovable, that they're unworthy, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, intimacy is hard, you know, whatever. And <clears throat> but the, on the betrayed side too, I think I think you know this is a really important conversation because I think a lot of times on the betrayed side, there's a fear of doing the deeper work and the um, the actual recovery work because there's sort of a validation in saying, well, my husband did this and it's his issue to do, right? Yes. (laughs) But I I mean, I honestly have come to the place where I think this is something that like all humans should do, betrayal or no betrayal. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is really like, because we all have these, we all have these fears. We all have these insecurities. And if you really want to up level in your life and, and become somebody that lives into the identity of the person that you want to be and, and living into, you know, who you're supposed to be and accomplishing what you're supposed to accomplish. These fears and these negative beliefs that we have about ourselves, they, they always hold us back. They always, they always interfere with how we interact in our relationships. They interfere with what we are brave enough to do in life. Um, what we're brave enough to say, what we're brave enough to accomplish. Um, right. And so I think that's really important to say like, you're, it's not necessarily that you have to do this because your husband was an addict or whatever, but it's, 
like, who do you want to be in life? And what right. are you, and, and this may be the catalyst that has thrust you into understanding emotions and limiting yes. beliefs and trauma. But the reality is that everybody has that. Now, again, this is a, a huge trauma and a catalyst for this healing work. And let's let's jump wholeheartedly into it at some point because it's it's transformational when you actually do the work. Absolutely. One of the things that I love to do is kind of as as clients are identifying that those internal messages, like one of the big questions I ask is how how have you coped? And oftentimes I'll have them kind of create and come up with a metaphor, right? Like you know, um, simple example, but maybe my life has felt like this tornado, like all this chaos around me, but I try to control what I can. Maybe it's through overfunctioning or, you know, shopping or raging or whatever. But what does that, what has that kind of unhealthy coping look like for you? And it, it kind of helps us identify like the, the things that I have become powerless over. I've become powerless over my unhealthy coping. And I don't want to live like that anymore, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of whether or not my addict, my partner ever decides to change and decides to get into recovery, I still deserve to be well and and to be free from this. Mm. Or what does that look like, right? Yes. How do I yes. shift Regardless that? of what they do, it's okay yes. for you to move forward in the healing journey. Yes, I still get to be well. I can still choose me, right? I can still choose health. Um, man, I feel like we could do like three more episodes on like just that, like <laughs> worthiness, and like, yes, <laughs> right? Yes. Like the negative beliefs, like, oh man, yeah, I'm well, we gonna have to have you back on. Um, that's I, like, I did a um, real quick story. I did a, a session with um, an addict every now and then, I'll get to work with an addict as well, mm-hmm. and um, who's kind of working toward disclosure and um. We spent two hours on the fact that they struggle to feel worthy. And that's this whole thing. It's like, you know, they're showing up in my office as an adult, but there is, you know, there is this seven-year-old sitting on this couch that tells me that they don't feel worthy. Yes. You know, and so this, the work is so imperative. I think that is one of the, um, uh, dichotomies when you look at an addict because Mm. the behavior itself comes off as ego. Yeah. Yes. Right. It comes off as uh, bravado and ego. And especially when they're like gaslighting and manipulative and all this kind of stuff. Um, But what I've really learned with my husband is just exactly what you said. It is like the wounded child within that. I mean, he has, he feels so much shame and so much unworthiness and um, he has so many wounds um, Mm -hmm. that contributed to the Um, self-medication. And, and, and yeah, seeing that, I think that is, it would, I would think be 99 to a hundred percent of addicts would have that somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. What what do you think um, might be some of the pitfalls or um, things to maybe watch out for with disclosure to avoid? Um, like one of the things that comes to mind when I'm thinking about disclosure is, you know, I talk to women a lot about you need to know so many details and you need to not know so many details, right? There's yes. something <laughs> there. Like we don't want to over traumatize ourselves with right. the information that we get. And so we want to be very clear in the boundaries that we set around the information. And we need to know enough that we're able to have full consent moving forward in the relationship. So absolutely. 
Yeah, um, that's probably a, another piece of the big prep work that I do is, um, you know, helping helping my clients think through exactly what you said, what they want to know versus what they need to know. Mm-hmm. And so I often um, encourage them to write out everything, to write out all the questions. I don't care what they are, but get them all out. And we spend often, you know, two, three, however many sessions it takes to really kind of workshop that, to go through it. One, because they deserve to ask all of the questions. Yes. And I think about um, emotional questions versus like informational questions, right? Mm -hmm. What do I need to know to kind of move forward, to start to build trust, to to make an informed decision, right? Um, What are the non-negotiables? What are the non-negotiables? Absolutely. Um, But it's important that they get out all of their questions, right? Mm -hmm. And so I I like to be able to be that space where they can um, get all of that out. And once we've gone through the whole list, um, then we kind of, we workshop it and we get down to, okay, these are the need to knows. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So that's really important. Um, I, and sometimes I'm, I'm really hard on them. Like, I'll be really honest. Like, how is that going to be helpful for you to know that? Yeah. Right. How is that going to foster your healing? Um, and so, you know, we take the, the time that it takes to go through those questions. Yeah, I think um, that's so important. I, I also do kind of a similar thing with the impact letter, too. Like, just like the, the addict has to, you know, go through their disclosure letter over and over, um, go through the weeds, right. With their own therapist. Like I'll do the same thing with the impact letter with my partner. Um, again, I want them to write out everything they need to say, like every way, how has this impacted you get it all out. Mm -hmm. Um, and we go through a workshopping process there after they read their initial one to me, then we kind of go through, we try to get out the shaming language. If there's any, Right. Um, yeah, because that's not the point. The point is not to shame right. the partner. The point is to exactly. explain how their behavior has impacted you and to and to really communicate that in clear language. Right. Right. And and that doesn't mean that like they that they don't need to be able to voice <laughs> those shaming things if they need to voice them to me. I will accept it. And right. I will right. Hear it and I'm right. Like that's important. Like get out. Like yeah. Like, all the things that you need to say, right? Drop all the F-bombs you need to. Like, <laughs> it's fine. Like, my first draft and my impact letter was uh, full. Yeah. But it's, that's cathartic, right? Getting it out in that way. Um, yes. And so, but I think that process of, of workshopping, it helps get yeah. it down to a place of, um, you know, hopefully where the, the addict can receive it. Yes, because ultimately, as the betrayed partner, you still have to demonstrate to the addict the way you want them to treat the world, which is to treat them as a human being. You you know, the whole process of getting out of sex addiction is learning how to humanize other people, um, right? Beyond beyond processing all of your shame and your pain and all that kind of stuff, it's learning how to humanize other people. And so as the betrayed partner, with all of the valid anger that you have, you don't want to dehumanize your partner. You don't want to keep piling on shame. You want to be honest about how this is making you feel and what your boundaries are, but you need to treat them as a human being as well. And so that, yeah, I think that's such an important point in how you present these things. There are limits. There still are limits. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, It's a, (laughs) it's a delicate, intense process, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. But when you when you do it in a way that um, 
yeah, that is nurtured and thought through and supportive. Mm-hmm. I think I think it really can be a beautiful process. And I had a I had a client and her husband go through the uh, impact and restitution letter process recently, and mm-hmm. um, just the the shift that it made in their relationship in terms of depth of communication and understanding mm-hmm. was uh-huh. so cool to see because yeah. it was like the the addict partner was really. I think he came to a new level of understanding how his behavior actually impacted her. Right. Right. And so, you know, kind of going all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, why do the disclosure, you can continue that question of why do the impact letter, why do the, there is a process for a reason. And it's because it really does facilitate healing in the coupleship. And it facilitates communication and it facilitates understanding um, in a way that a lot of times does not happen if you're just kind of left to your own devices trying to to verbalize to each other like what's going on, right? There's there are a lot of minefields through recovery yes. that you can, right? There's a lot of explosions and pain and and so having like you were saying at the beginning, this safe space and this organized structure and this yes. encouragement and this sort of guidelines, um, you know, with the counselor, with the coach, with the therapist, whoever you're working with, you know, yeah. to kind of guide you and support you through this process. That's so important. And it really, the reason, the reason that you're going to go through this is so that you can um, facilitate the healing on a deeper level, particularly right. if, you know, you're working towards reconciliation. You might not get to the impact and the restitution if you're not working towards reconciliation, right? Like yeah. you may go through disclosure to, to see right. where you want to go, but yeah, yeah, there's a limit there. Mm-hmm. There, um, I love that you said that. It, the whole thing, it reminds me of, so the pyramid of intimacy, when I think about the disclosure process and that pyramid of intimacy, right? The thing, like there are these levels that we have to go through to get to true intimacy and it starts with truth. Um, right. If I don't have truth, then, then I don't feel safe. And if I don't feel safe with you, I'm not going to trust you. Right. Of like, you just think about that pyramid and, and it, it, that it takes, it starts with truth. Mm. It's gotta be that foundational piece. Um, but then I love that the disclosure really just kind of um, shows that beautifully because that's what happens, right? We, we share truth and in this place of safety and support, right? And that is the beginning of rebuilding trust. Um, and if I trust you, I'm going to be vulnerable with you. And that is going to lead to intimacy if it's within this safe setting. And that always leads to deeper connection. Mm. Um, And so I just, I love, I love seeing that um, play out in, in this process. That's why I love when I've got a couple who, as hard as this is, when they are in it and they are both showing up and doing the work, like I am seeing this play out and it is beautiful Mm -hmm. and it's so redemptive. um, And it's such an honor to just to hold that space and to walk with both partners through this, right? Like, mm-hmm. girl, I love this. Work I would agree. So yeah. I could talk about like all day. Like it's just, it's I, such it a really is. When you have two people that are willing to do the work, it's so, you get so excited. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is so awesome. Yes. I can see the future for you. I know this is hard. I know it sucks right now, but this is yes. great. But I see the future and it's so beautiful. Just keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> I know. It's so good. Um, I mean, it really is interesting when you work in this area, you really do get a quick 
a fairly quick understanding when you hear their stories. You're like, oh, okay, like this partner's willing to work and this partner isn't, or you know that they're both in, and and you yeah. can you can pretty. I feel like a lot of times you can tell right away like where this is headed, right? And yes, um, yeah. So when you see the two that are like totally like, and I mean like a hundred fifty percent like in yeah. the, in it to win it no matter what, then you're like, yes, yes, because yes. you it really is a process that I mean to be. To be quite honest, this sounds painful, and it is, but you really don't want to leave any stone unturned because that exactly. stone eventually is going to be something that just destroys the relationship. And so as hard as that is to like painstakingly go through every step, um, right. I've so important and so worth it because then you are living in truth, like you said, and that is yeah. such a freeing place to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why, you know, going back to kind of the the topic, like, you know, prepping for it. That's why it's so important to do all of the, the, the pre-disclosure work, right. To really feel safe Mm -hmm. and secure and that I can, you know, I can show up in this space that my partner can show up in the space and be vulnerable and honest. And, um, like it is, it's so important to me to foster that kind of environment, like for both people to be able to show up in their vulnerability and their honesty and their strength and their courage and all the things that it takes, Mm -hmm. like just, um, you know, it's important right out the gate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are so thankful to have you as a coach at Tara Hope. Um, I just am so happy to have you on the team. And so I'd love to wrap up, um, this episode just with a question of, you know, whether it's Tara Hope or another nonprofit, but we're, we're, we're raising awareness for Tara Hope right now. So we're going to ask, you know, why, why do you think it's important that people consider um, contributing or donating to things like Tara Hope? Yeah, uh, I love that. It's a great question. Um, just personally, as someone who I have personally benefited from others' generosity, mm-hmm. right? My husband and I could not have gone through our process um, without the help of someone else donating and giving their own resources to us. Like, that's how we got to do our own intensives and our own disclosure, right? Because we had help. And um, so I know that on a personal level, the gift that it is. And I mean, we all know this therapy is expensive. Treatment is expensive. And um, that also adds to the stress, right? Of not, not only do we struggle with being betrayed partners, but we struggle with, with all of the effects that it takes, right? And all the ways that it impacts us and financially is one. And so, you know, when people have the, the willingness to give of their resources mm-hmm. to someone like me who um, is already struggling in this, like it is a huge gift and it can be a huge weight off of someone um, to have that gift of saying, you know, hey, I recognize that you need this mm-hmm. and I want to support you in this way. Like yeah. to be on the receiving end of that is is huge and it's a godsend. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's also just the, the beautiful example, again, going back to community um, and, you know, the way that community works. If I have a resource that, that I can share with you, I want to do it um, and say, I support you in this way. I see you and I can, maybe I don't understand what you're going through, but here's what I can do. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's just the gift and the beauty of community, right? And how community was meant to be. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And and talking about community to those two different types, right? Like um, there's the community of the the ones that have gone through it 
and yeah. maybe have a desire to pay it forward and support somebody else. And they know the difficulty and they know the financial burden. And so they say, I'm in a good place now. I'm in recovery. You know, I want to support others going through this. And we we welcome you to, to join with us and partner with us. Um, yeah. And then maybe there's people that listen to the podcast or are aware of this or have a friend that's going through this and have never experienced anything like it, you know, and, and, but you feel called to help people and to contribute right. in that way. And that we welcome you to partner with us as well. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it really is a, uh, any, any time we're in a position where we're able to help others, it's, it's not just the others that are, we are helping. You're also going to personally get something out of that as well. Um, you know, and you may not know what that is right away, right? Like, you know, you didn't know, like, I don't know how that pillow ended up in your lap, right? Like things happen in mysterious ways, right? (laughs) Yeah, but anyway, we're just we're so grateful for anyone who's um, you know interested or willing. If you have questions, please reach out. But um, Jackie, I am so uh, thankful for you um, and for your participation with Tara Hope and for your coaching and for everything mm-hmm. that you're doing in your own business and your own work with clients. Uh, if people are interested in connecting with you personally, um, you know, what's your website or your Instagram or you know how can people connect with you if they want to kind of follow you and. Yeah, um, it's a great question. Also, thank you for trusting me to to be here and to do this work with your clients. Like it's it's a gift for me. So, um, yeah, if people have questions, my website is ampersandrecoveryandwellness.com. Um, that's how you can find me there. You can also find me at unbridledconnectionkentucky.com. Um, that, that's an organization that I work with and I do equine work with partners. Awesome. Um, that's a whole other thing I talk about forever. Um but you can find me there. Um, Instagram, you can find me at ampersand recovery and wellness. So, um, awesome. yeah, so glad to be here. Kylie, it's been so fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, it would mean so much if you leave a five-star review or post a screenshot and share on social media. We are on a mission to share the message of recovery and you can help get the word out. If you know a friend who could use this podcast, please share it.